Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 49. We have been working our way through some of the Psalms. So this is not a topic that is a hobby horse just before we enter into it. In case this is first time or you haven't been here very often or you haven't been here through this series. Because Psalm 49 is about money. And often when you hear about riches from a pulpit, it's not a good thing. So I don't want you to have that impression that all we preach about here is money. But we are going to look at it this morning. We're going to touch on that topic. The Bible has a lot to say about money. And Psalm 49, I think, is some wisdom. Wisdom about wealth. It's probably not surprising to you that the Bible talks a lot about money. I'm certain that if I asked you to tell me what the Bible says about money, you'd probably be able to quote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money. Not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Or perhaps you would quote Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ actually speaks more about money than he does any other topic except the kingdom of God. That means Christ spoke more about money than he did about heaven or about hell or about things to come. He spent a lot of time talking about money. Likely because, as he says in Matthew 19, verse 23 to 24, and as is repeated in Mark and Luke, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. No wonder he spoke so much about money. Wealth can be a great hindrance to entering the kingdom of God. It isn't impossible to be wealthy and to be saved because God, or Jesus goes on to say that with God all things are possible. And it's interesting to me, actually, that he made that statement right after saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go into heaven. But he says, but with God, all things are possible. If my memory serves me correct, Jesus only made that statement in regards to riches and the rich ones going to heaven. So even with riches, God is able to save. But the opposition with riches often is great to those who are rich, and we must admit that all of us would fall into this category if we were to contrast ourselves with the New Testament believers. Paul sums up what our attitude towards wealth and use of wealth looks like, or is supposed to look like for us today. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud or arrogant, nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, sharing, or willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Don't trust in riches, but trust in God and use riches for God's purposes. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud about your wealth. Don't trust in it. Trust God. That is reflected in Psalm 49, which is where we are landing this morning as we work our way through the Psalms. It is about wealth, and it is about the danger 
of trusting in it. It's also an encouragement to believers not to be envious of those who have wealth, who do not know God, particularly those who may use their wealth for negative or evil purposes. For a little context on Psalm 49, it is written again by the sons of Korah. We're familiar with that. We've talked about that in the past. These were the song leaders, the musicians of the day. We don't know whose voice it is expressing, but it's likely not David. A lot of the Psalms, even those written by Korah, some of them, the sons of Korah, are in the voice of David or the, out of the experience of David. But here we see that the psalmist is anxious about someone or some group of people who are ungodly and wealthy and are using that wealth and power that comes with it for evil purposes. Twice in Psalm 49, it encourages us, or the author encourages the reader not to be afraid of the rich and powerful and gives the reason that their life is passing and their wealth and power will die with them. King David, though he had enemies to be concerned about, as far as I know, was not concerned or afraid of them because of their wealth. He was very wealthy himself. But regardless of who the author is, the psalm is a contemplation on the shortness of life, the certainty of death. All the wealth in the world cannot change that, so we shouldn't be unduly concerned about temporary wealth. That is clearly along the lines of Christ's teaching. Be more concerned with your eternal treasure than with your temporary one. One other thing to keep in mind as far as context as we read Psalm 49 is that the style is slightly different from the last Psalms that we have read. The last ones that we have read are praise Psalms, whereas Psalm 49 is a teaching Psalm. This Psalm and Psalm 50 is more like a sermon that comes after the singing than it is like the singing itself. It's still put to music, which is interesting. According to verse 4 here in Psalm 49, The psalmist says, I will disclose my dark sayings or my riddles on a harp. Uh, However, it's still a sermon that's been put to song. You don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to put this sermon to song. But keep in mind, this is not so much about worship or even encouragement as this is a sermon to give instruction. So with that context in mind, we're going to read Psalm 49. And before we do, let's go once again to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather together and has already been mentioned as the body of Christ and for the joy and privilege that it is to have fellowship and to edify one another and to to build one another in Jesus Christ, to spend time in praise and worship and to spend time in your word as a corporate body. We thank you for the freedom and for the privilege and, and for the responsibility that that is. We are called to it. And Lord, I pray that you would minister in this time as you have already especially as we look into your word, Lord, that you would guide through your word by your Holy Spirit to accomplish your purposes in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, and grant us a will to follow you in obedience. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, both rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Why should I fear in the day of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is costly, and it shall cease forever. 
that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. The three things that I would like you to note or to see from this psalm. The first, in verse 1 to 4, is this is something that everyone needs to hear. The second, in verse 5 to 14, it's what you need to hear. Don't trust in riches. And in verse 15 to 20, don't be anxious when others do. This is a fairly straightforward psalm. It's a fairly direct psalm. And it's an inclusive psalm. It is for everyone. Everyone needs to hear this. The psalmist is abundantly clear about this. This is a truth. He says that everyone needs to hear the unsaved, to be warned of the foolish and the ultimate condemnation that comes from pursuing riches, and the believer who sits back in wonder and even at times fear of those seeking wealth for evil purposes. Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible puts it this way, The scope and design of this discourse is to convince the men of this world of their sin and folly in setting their hearts upon the things of the world, and to persuade them to seek the things of a better world. And secondly, also to comfort the people of God in reference to their own troubles and the grief that arises from the prosperity of the wicked. So this psalm is to convince the world of the detriment of pursuing riches rather than trusting in God, and it is to comfort the believer who is troubled by those who have sought and attained and used wealth for evil rather than trust in God. So he says everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs to hear this, the believer and the non-believer. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. Everyone needs to hear. I can't tell by looking at you which of those two camps you fall into, rich or poor, or trusting in money or trusting in God. I can't tell it by the external expression. I pray you're not in that first camp, that you're trusting in wealth rather than God. If you are, you need to get out of it. Confess it to God and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you're in the second camp, I pray that you would be encouraged to continue to trust in God rather than being envious or bitter or even troubled by the riches of others. And I'm kind of thankful that I don't know which camp you're in. I can simply reiterate what the psalmist is saying and trust that God will apply his word in either encouragement or in conviction to your heart. From there, the psalmist expresses what caused him. He says everyone needs to hear this, but then he expresses what caused him to consider this dilemma. It seemed that he had caused to fear, or at least was tempted to fear, those who gained wealth and power. Perhaps he feared the temptation that presented itself in seeing others raised to that position of wealth and power. The New King James 
seems to suggest that, or the New King James, yeah, the New King James Version seems to suggest that, that the temptation to follow after wealth is what the psalmist was on guard against. When it says, when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me, it seems that he looks out at the position of those who seek after and attain wealth for selfish purposes, and he recognizes it as a snare that he could easily fall into. He's saying, this is why I'm presenting, this is why everyone needs to hear, because we're all prone to be tempted. I'd be surprised if we could say that we're not prone to be tempted to seek after wealth or to trust in wealth. The NIV words it a little differently in Psalm 49 verse 5 to 6. It says, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? There, It is the wicked deceivers who trust in their wealth and boast in their, tr- their riches who troubled the psalmist. Either way, whether it is self we must be on guard against in this area or the fear of those who would use wealth to attack the believer, we see the emptiness and the pointlessness and the truly worthlessness of temporary riches in regards to eternal things. And so we are warned. We are warned, don't trust in them. Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in riches. Everyone needs to hear this, whether high or low, whether rich or poor, whether in the day that the psalm was written or today. It's amazing that it is consistent, that this hasn't changed. That's got to be a couple thousand years, 2,500 some years, maybe 2,300 some years, however long it was. And it's the same thing. And everyone still needs to hear, trust in God, not possessions, not in mammon, not in wealth, not in riches, rather trust in God. Now, why does everyone need to hear this? Why even shouldn't we trust in riches? Well, there's three reasons that are given here fairly straightforwardly. The first one is is that it can't save someone else. I was inclined to say riches can't buy salvation, which is true, but the psalmist is only looking at salvation or eternally saving someone in a secondary sense here in Psalm 49. He's looking primarily at the issue of death. Riches can't keep someone or can't save someone from death. We see that there in verse 7. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is costly. Riches can't keep someone. They can't save someone. They can't save someone else. They can't keep your brother or your sister or your loved one from dying, which makes sense. Even in today's world of modern medicine and the miracle that it often is, all the money in the world can't keep someone from dying. Money may enable people to come up with a cure for any disease, but the statement in the New Testament is still true. It is given unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. You may cure a disease, but you have not removed death. No amount of money is going to discover a cure for death. God, because of sin, has put an expiration date on every one of us. And no amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of power will change that. The NIV in verse 8 and 9 puts it crystal clear. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. In other words, it just isn't going to happen. Why do you trust or why shouldn't we trust in riches? 
because they can't save someone else's life. They can't keep someone else's life. And that applies for ourselves as well. It'd be kind of funny, actually, if it wasn't so sad. We spend our life trying to make enough money to have a life and to preserve our life when it is a gift of God to start with and we have no control over the time of its end. Money cannot save, cannot keep, cannot secure someone else's life. We see that although the author here is speaking of physical life and death, there is certainly a spiritual side to this. Money can never redeem or buy back or pay for life. God holds the key of life and death, and you cannot ransom your brother from God, as verse 8 says. So you can't sustain life here on earth, and you can't buy eternal life. You can't buy riches, save someone else's soul. The second reason that you shouldn't trust in money is because even with it, you can't save yourself. You can't save somebody else, and you can't save yourself with it. Verse 10 shows a cold, grim reality. He sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Wise men, that is, wise in the way of the world, especially wise with money and the fool and the senseless person, they all die. So you who is saving so much money that you'd like to redeem your brother's life, you can't even pay for your own life, he's saying here. Whether you're wise or foolish, whether you're with money or with anything else, you will die. And not only will you die, not only will I die, but all that... We have, we will leave. Everything that you ever amass, it goes to someone else anyways. So don't save your money for your grandchildren. Spend it now. Regardless of your thoughts on wills and inheritance and estates, it is assured that you cannot take anything with you. We can all say as Job did, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. Or as Ricky Skaggs in the song sings, all treasures in this world don't mean a thing when they lay you down. Because you can't take it with you when you go. You can't take it with you. Considering that, it is amazing how much we get caught up with things, with possessions, with wealth in this life, isn't it? It's amazing. We can't save our life. We can't keep our life. We definitely can't save our soul through possessions. And yet we invest, at times, our very soul into these possessions. Wealth can't save your life, can't keep your life, certainly can't purchase eternal life. It's a reason why you shouldn't trust in it. Third reason why you shouldn't trust in it is because it can't buy security. We see that in verse 11. Their inner thought is that, this is of those who seek wealth and use it for evil purposes, that trust in wealth. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Now, verse 11 here is translated dramatically different between the New King James and NASB and the NIV. The one I just read is from the New King James Version, where it's speaking of their inner thoughts is that their houses will last forever. Whereas the NIV says their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwelling place for endless generations. But whether they think they will live forever or not, the fact of the matter is the only plot of ground that they're going to occupy forever will be a six by three one in a cemetery regardless of what they think. And we see the prevalence of that mentality, don't we? The rich particularly seem to think that they'll live forever. They're building kingdoms unto themselves, hoarding treasure and pleasure for themselves. They're creating legacies that they think will never die. They're making a name that will be repeated through history. While in reality, as it says here in verse 12, man and beast are alike in their death. 
It is coming to everyone, and shortly thereafter, in light of time, they are forgotten. That isn't meant to be depressing. This might sound a little depressing, but it's simply a reality. For those who place their hope in the things of the world, it's coming to an end. And there'll be nothing left of it for you. And it will not save you or secure you. If your hope is in this life, it's pitiful. If your confidence is in things of this life, it's sad. There must be more to life than just this life. Because if it is just this life, then you are no different, he says, than a wild animal. You just live, hopefully reproduce, and then die, and nothing matters. If this is all that there is, then you are just a random blip, if even that, on the pages of history, not worthy of taking notice of, if there is nothing more, nothing beyond this. Where is the security then for the one who trusts in their possessions and in their wealth? The rich but godless person, he says, names lands after their own name. How long will they be remembered? We've recently seen a push to erase history. That's not a good one either. But what, def- what difference does it make these great names from the past in the present day? Even our recent past, never mind going back past a 100 years, but the great names are practically irrelevant and very, very few. If not completely forgotten, there is no lasting security in wealth or in power on earth. It cannot secure you from the grave, and practically it makes very little to no difference after you're gone. This is reality. Verse 13 continues, This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. And isn't that true? This is the way things are. Trust in riches and you'll die and be forgotten. <laughs> trust in, And yet they still tell the next generation to trust in riches because that's where greatness is, that's where security is, that's where power is. And yet they die and are forgotten. And the mentality continues. How many thousands of people have died between the time that this psalm was written and today, trusting in their wealth that we have no idea of, don't know their name and could care less, practically speaking? And yet they passed on that idea, that thought. Money will buy you security. It'll make a name for yourself. Well, it hasn't made a name. Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in riches. It can't save someone else. It can't save yourself. And it can't buy security. That is what the psalm is saying. But the second major thing that the psalm is saying is don't be anxious when others do. Don't be afraid or perturbed by the one who trusts in riches. Verse 5 says, Why should I fear in the day of evil, presumably brought about by those with wealth and power? Verse 16 says, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich. I don't know if we fear them today as much as envy them. We are blessed to live in a country where we are considered equal, more or less, regardless of our bank account. But even here we see the danger, don't we? That wealthy people with evil intents can accomplish much evil. But we shouldn't fear them. What is the worst that they can do? Jesus Christ answered that in Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God rather than man. Only God has power over eternal things. So don't fear those who rise to positions of wealth and power, even if their intent is evil in it. Verse 15 shows why we shouldn't fear man regardless of how rich and powerful they may be. Here we see the monumental contrast between the one who trusts in God instead of trusting in money. And this, to me, is a glorious verse. 
This is a powerful verse right here in the center of this. The psalmist declares that because of his confidence in God, God will redeem my soul. He's just talked about the fact that for the one who is trusting in their wealth, his death is coming and it's no different than the death of any other wild animal. But he says, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Why would we fear men, even the richest, most powerful, most evil men, when God is the redeemer of my soul eternally? Now, the Old Testament doesn't speak a lot about the coming resurrection, but that is clearly what is meant here. The confidence of the psalmist and the whole point of this psalm is that for the one who trusts in God, there is eternal life after the grave. We don't live for what we can amass now, but for our eternal reward later. We don't trust in riches to keep us alive, but in God, through Jesus Christ, to restore life. Clark's commentary of this verse says, By the simplest meaning, this verse says, I shall have a resurrection from the dead and an entrance into his glory, and death shall have no dominion over me. In the middle of a passage telling people, don't trust in riches. It won't buy you life. It won't save somebody else's life. It won't give you security. Trust in God because he is the one who can redeem you and has promised to provide an eternal dwelling for you in his presence. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, you will be resurrected from the dead. You are assured an entrance into glory and death has no power over you. Everything that the ungodly person wishes he could attain by his riches, you attain in Jesus Christ. Purpose, meaning, life. Everything the ungodly person fools himself into believing can be his for a price, but never actually is, you are granted through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see why the riches can be so dangerous then? It It feeds mankind a lie, that lie that you can save yourself, that lie that you are self-sufficient, that lie that you are all that you ever need and you can make it your own way. We are better off to have nothing and realize our need for God than to have all the wealth of the world and never come to see that need. Trust in God rather than riches. That theme there of trusting in God rather than riches and of it being of eternal worth is clearly repeated in the New Testament. For what is the profit to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? God is the only one or thing that has power to redeem my soul. He has that power and authority because he has purchased it with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And not only will he redeem the one who trusts in him, but he will receive that soul unto himself. That is likewise incredible. He shall take me to be with himself. Whether that's through death or through the rapture, the outcome is the same. And we can say, as the New Testament saints did in talking about the rapture, thus shall we ever be with the Lord. So you have infinite cause not to be anxious over those who rejoice in wealth and use wealth, even if they use wealth to oppose or to attack you. You know the final chapter of the book. Those who trust in the Lord are redeemed while those who trust in themselves and their riches are lost. So we should be concerned about them, not in a negative way. That is, we should be concerned about their eternal state. But we should not be bothered or surprised by their hopeless pursuit and misuse of wealth. 
That is to be expected. That is making the best life for themselves now. That's true. It will be the best now that they will ever know. For those who trust in God, regardless of how good things may be now, admittedly they're pretty good, this is the worst we'll ever know. It all gets better from here. For the one trusting in riches and not trusting in God, this is the best they'll ever know. The rest of the chapter here is just comfort, basically, to those who, or to the one who trusts in God. Comfort to not be unduly concerned about the one who trusts in riches or their agenda even with those riches. They shall all face death. They won't be able to take anything with them when they die. Whatever glory they have built for themselves, it fades into nothingness. The joy that money brings and the praises of others, it even speaks about that money brings, it fades as well. But the one who trusts in God has everlasting life. The one who trusts in riches creates nothing for himself beyond his last breath. The one who trusts in God, God creates everything for him, in a sense, beyond his last breath. And it doesn't end on a positive note. It just says, the one who thinks this way, basically, is like a beast that perishes. The one who trusts in wealth. So what are you creating for yourself? In what are you trusting? Are you creating a plush life now? Or are you creating an eternal weight of glory? Are you trusting in that which you can provide? Your own provision to save you and to secure you? That will never work. Or are you trusting the provision of Jesus Christ on your behalf? And so rejoicing in his goodness today and eternally. In what are you trusting? And lastly, but most pointedly, since we're on the subject, does your bank account actually reflect that? Or is it not a reflection of what you say you are trusting in? That's going from preaching to meddling. Everyone needs to hear this message. Everyone then needed to hear it, no matter how many hundreds of years ago it was. And everyone throughout the time, from then to now, And everyone now needs to hear it. They need to hear, we need to hear, don't trust in riches. Don't trust in your possessions. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't trust in what you can attain. They will not save your brother's soul. It will not save your soul. And it will not provide security. Rather, trust in Jesus Christ. Rest upon Him. Secure now from those who may hate you for your faith and oppose you with riches and secure eternally in Christ, redeemed by God and one day received unto him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this clear message. And we ask that you would forgive us for so often trusting in what we can attain, what we can accomplish, what we can provide. So often trusting in so many other things. It seems like we are prone to have a whole litany of things that we are reliant upon before we rely upon you, that we trust in before we trust in you. And we ask that you would forgive us. And thank you that you can cleanse us and wash us and make us pure, even in the area of finances. We thank you as well for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that we have cause to trust you eternally with our very soul that you are worthy of that. 
And to think that you intervened in the affairs of mankind and condescended to us, humbled yourself and became as a man, and went to the cross, and you call us to cast ourselves upon you, to come to you seeking that forgiveness. We thank you that you are the grantor of, of faith and of forgiveness, that you were the one who redeems and restores, that you were the Savior of our soul. Cause us, both in that eternal sense, to trust you, but cause us as well, moment by moment, to place our confidence in you, to trust in you, to depend upon you, to call out upon you. We thank you that you are able to save, that you're willing to save, and so we yield. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we will be fully redeemed, both spiritually and physically made new in the presence of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.